One. Two. Three. Toast. Toast. Welcome to Franchise Fan Guys, where we are going to be chatting about the Mission Impossible franchise. I'm joined with Andy Schmidt and Skidmar. Why don't you guys say hi and introduce yourselves? Uh, hey, I'm Andy Schmidt. I'm a writer and entertainment uh, consultant and uh, publisher of comics. So, uh, yeah, that's that's who I am. And uh, I only accept uh, impossible missions. I am the one that chooses <laughs> not to accept them. And uh, therefore, Ethan Hunt gets to do them. But I'm usually the first choice. <laughs> Hi, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Skid Marr, and this podcast will self-destruct if not properly stored. Franchise fan guys. So, so far there are six Mission Impossible movies. We're going to run down the year they came out, the Rotten Tomatoes score, the audience score, and the domestic box office. So Mission Impossible 1 came out in 96, Rotten Tomatoes score of 64, audience score of 71, box office of 181 million. Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000, four years later. Rotten Tomatoes score went down 7 to 57. The audience score dropped almost 30 to 42. And the domestic box office went up almost uh, about 35 to 215 million. Mission Impossible 3, there's a six-year gap there. The Rotten Tomatoes score went up to 71. Audience score went up to 69, but the box office dropped a lot to 134 million. Then a five-year gap to Mission Impossible 4 called Ghost Protocol with a 94 on the Rotten Tomatoes, 76 for the audience, and 209 in the domestic box office. Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation came out in 2015 with a 93 on the Rotten Tomatoes, 87 for the audience, 195 for the box office. And the last one to be released was Mission Impossible Fallout, which came out in 2018 with a 97 Rotten Tomatoes score, 88 audience score, and $220 million in the box office. And one thing that stands out when looking at these numbers is that there's a trend upward from 3 to 6, both in terms of critic and audience acceptance, as well as box office. This is the first franchise we've looked at that has not had a fairly clear decline. What do you think attributes to this, Andy? Um, I think the easiest answer to that is quality. <laughs> um, they, this is one of the few franchises, and I think we'll talk about this more in depth in a later episode, that, that does seem to get better as it goes along, generally speaking. I think Mission Impossible 2 being the, the odd man out. But this is, this is one of the, the things that's really interesting about looking at a, a, a series like this and then looking at the box office. Mission Impossible 2 is the one with the lowest critic score and the lowest audience score and it made the most at the box office so what that tells you the box office often on a franchise like this doesn't tell you that much about the the movie that that the money is attributed to it tells you sometimes more about the previous one so the first mission impossible um you know kind of came out of nowhere did well Audiences tended to like it. I think we're, we're going to talk about some of the issues that people had with it, I think, later. But um, but it meant that people were excited for the next one. So the next one does better, even though it's worse. But then there's that huge drop from Mission Impossible 2, which made $215 million, to $134 million with Mission Impossible 3. And Mission Impossible 3... Um, is not like it's not like a beloved Mission Impossible movie, but it's one that generally audiences tended to to really enjoy. And so, even though people liked it more 
than Mission Impossible 2. It got stung by Mission Impossible 2 because Mission Impossible 2 left a bad taste in, in audiences' mouths. I'm oversimplifying here, but but I think it's but I think that all I think that all tracks. Um and then and then I don't know, like I don't know how you guys felt. Um actually Tom, I think I'm not even sure you saw most of these before, but like I wasn't even after Mission Impossible Three, which I remember enjoying. Uh, in the theater, which I did see in the theater, I wasn't that psyched for a Mission Impossible four because two and three I didn't like two, and then three was good, but like just I mean it didn't leave me craving, you know, another one. And so Ghost Protocol, the fourth one, was the one that really that really got my attention and sort of turned me into like a a fan of Mission Impossible. You know, that one really really surprised me. It was funnier. It was it was more clever it was uh yeah it just really moved and i and and i remember coming out of that being like that was great and then also thinking well they peaked like they're not going to do better than that and then i like rogue nation more than i like ghost protocol and i like fallout more than i like rogue nation um so i just keep being surprised by how good these (laughs) these movies are (laughs) um but yeah i mean i think that's what and one of the things that's interesting, you know, I've listened to a lot of interviews and stuff, uh, you know, uh, you know, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible was the first movie Tom Cruise produced. And so this is in some ways, it's kind of his baby, obviously it's based on a TV show. So, but from the, from the film franchise standpoint, it's kind of, it's his, his thing. And what, what I kept hearing in interviews and interviews, I was listening to interviews from, you know, different times. Like, you know, I was listening to interviews when two was coming out and when four was coming out and all that sort of stuff. And every interview he talks about things they learned from the last one right and then and what are they carrying forward and what are they trying to to fix and it's apparent it's you can see it in the in the movies like you can see when something doesn't work in one of the movies and they try something similar but they've tweaked it and now it does work and i think that's a pretty fascinating thing and especially for somebody that like i don't know that there's anybody that tells tom cruise no i assume there aren't people that do that um, just because he's such a big star and he's the producer, like who's going to tell him no? Well, but he probably pays. The... He probably pays someone to pay him no on uh, irregular intervals, just so he knows how it feels. <laughs> That's how successful <laughs> right, <'cause>, he is. Because <clears throat> he's because he's got to be able to convincingly act in character right. as someone who's been told <laughs> no. Right. He's got to remind uh, himself what it was like. Right, but I, but I think that's really I think it's really cool that you know I mean he is this giant star and he uh, he is really critical about that stuff and it's it's clear like I mean it's clear in the interviews when you listen to him that like he knows this stuff and he's paying attention and he pays attention to what audiences react to it's 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 I I think it's really interesting and you don't tend to hear that many filmmakers talk that way about you know and talk fairly openly about things that don't work and then talk about you know, okay, so how do we do that better? Um, you know, and, or how do we avoid that pitfall? You know, so I, so, you know, a lot of it is clearly there are, there are people, Cruz seemingly one of them that are, that are really paying attention and and really care enough to, to try and make these movies, not just successful, like, like popcorn, but like successful films. And they get, they, they tend to get better. I think I rest my case. (laughs) uh yeah i think it's i was thinking i was trying to think of any comparable film series 
that starts off pretty strong. And, you know, uh, Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible may not be the most beloved movie ever, but it had a massive cultural impact. I mean, just the amount of parodies uh, of that heist scene. I mean, that really is one of the best heist scenes that yeah, that is a great heist scene, for uh, sure. Yeah, but to start off that strong and have a second fo- a follow up that was that bad. I mean, I watch it again, and not only is it bad, but it's it's so of its age. Like, there's no more year two thousand movie I could think of. Just, I mean, what the Limp Biscuit, Mission yeah, Impossible, Limp Biscuit, that Limp Biscuit doing the damn <laughs> song. And his haircut, like everything, it was a, it was a, it was a mess of a movie. And it was funny too, because in the last movie, uh, Thing Rames is talking to uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character, and says like, you know, there's only two women that uh, Ethan Hunt has really cared about. And it was like, ooh, Thandi Newton, ouch. I was like, I felt so bad. So okay, so so I I questioned that because I thought, uh, I, hold on. So in, so when he says that, I wasn't sure if he was referring to Rebecca Ferguson as one of the two women. So is he saying there are only two women ever, Rebecca Ferguson and Julia? Or is he saying there are two women other than you? Because they, these guys love to do like little callbacks and little nods. And, there's, and they nod in Fallout to every Mission Impossible movie. And that's the only place where they potentially nod to Mission Impossible 2. That I that I spot. I just so assumed. I wondered if Thandie Newton. I think Thandie Newton's great. I wouldn't just write her off that that fast. I'm just saying. Uh, I think I love Thandie Newton. I think that was a really bad performance in that movie, and she would agree. <laughs> I think she <laughs> said she, <laughs> she had such a she had such a bad time on that movie. Uh, oh, that's, that, I did. I didn't realize that. Yeah, she 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 and tom cruise did not get along very well apparently and she was the the amount of pressure that he put himself under and by extension her was palpable she said she had to do a lot of therapy just to deal oh. with the the aftermath well, now i feel movie. bad for making jokes <laughs> right <laughs> damn it this is very disconcerting but uh but it's just so weird the only movie franchise that was even remotely similar it made me think of Die Hard because it had a really strong opening entry. And then you have a second entry with a foreign-born director uh, that's really bad, that misses a lot of the point of what made the first one great. And then Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, I really like. I thought it recovered quite a bit from Die Hard 2. Uh, that's kind of a similar arc to this. But then Die Hard just keeps going down down slope after that point whereas this franchise keeps getting better it doesn't make any sense it does it does not make sense no it's it, 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 like, like it i feel like it you cannot change the laws of physics and it does it just keeps <laughs> it just keeps getting getting better and i i agree with you and there i mean there are definitely other film franchises that do uh that can go up and down like actually you know i just sort of mildly referenced star trek there you know the, the yeah. star trek film franchise you know, goes up and up and down quite a bit. I mean, there was, there was, you know, the, the idea for a long time on Star Trek movies was the even numbered ones are good and the odd numbered ones are not good was sort of the conventional wisdom. The Captain America films 
sort of keep getting better. Like Captain mm-hmm. America one, I really, really love it's, You know, it feels like a throwback to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Captain America two, the winter soldier is, you know, maybe my favorite, you know, it's certainly in my top three Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then civil war is really good and it's a lot bigger. I, you know, it's a, I could argue that that's more of an Avengers movie than a Captain America movie, but, but you know, there are, there are certainly film franchises that do, you know, that have very strong entries after the first, but, but, you know, that go beyond three and do, and do really well is, is, uh, pretty much unheard of. Right. I mean, we, uh, know, we James Bond, Park, yeah. James Bond is the only other one that I can think of, but even that is, it's uneven. It's not that you don't have this like straight, the, like this improvement arc right trajectory you know, yeah it's 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 yeah I, I there's nothing like it there's really nothing like it well i think that i think that one of the reasons why this does have this this upward trajectory is because when something doesn't work or it lands wrong or it or it causes a problem and i'll give you i'll give you i'll give you an example julia is an example like julia works just fine in mission impossible 3 but she is a problem going forward for the franch from a franchise perspective that character is a problem because now Ethan's married. So he, he's either off on his own, abandoning his wife, or he's potentially cheating on his wife, or they have to kill her off or what. And like none of those solutions are good. Right. So they, they, they did the thing in ghost protocol. She's introduced in three in Ghost Protocol, they have her at the ending, and they and they try to tie that up and be like, so she, they faked her death, and she's she's okay, and he's okay, and they're living their separate lives. So then they thought in Rogue Nation that they were good to have another romantic interest enter Rebecca Ferguson, Ilsa. But fans reacted, you know, the 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 bigger fans of the franchise, right? Their core of their audience reacted poorly to not to her character but to the idea of them getting together because they had been invested in Julia. And they're like, wait, that doesn't work. And so they knew going into fallout. So now you're talking about, you know, three, four, five and six. And, and the character is still, you know, bumping against the franchise and kind of causing these problems. And so in fallout, Instead of like just trying to ignore it, which is what I think most franchises would do and just be like, well, eventually people will forget. They bring Julia back in, in a way to, to, they incorporate her in to deal with the, essentially the problem that she has created for the franchise. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's certainly not, um, uh, I'm blanking on the actress's name now. Um, she's great. Um, Michelle Monaghan, right? Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's not her fault at all. She she does a great job. She's great in Mission Impossible Three. Uh, I think she's perfect for that role. Great but actress. That role, Kiss that, Kiss Bang Bang, is amazing. Oh, she's so good in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That role just shouldn't exist, right? That just shouldn't have been a thing. Uh, but the, but they actually deal with these with the problems. They deal with these narrative problems. They deal with the franchise problems, and they go forward. They had another one also for Mission Impossible Three. Not that I'm trying to dog on that one, but you never find out what the rabbit's foot is. Which for me, I never cared because I like I, that. I, I actually studied... that's one of my favorite parts of that movie. I love that you you never they never specify what it is. I love that they got they got raked over the coals for it again by that core audience, and so you know they they're like okay we we have to say what these things are like they 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 that's a very easy one like okay we have to figure out what it is, 
but you know, but they made a mistake and they learned from it, you know, or the, you know, from their point of view, they made a mistake. Um, I agree with you. That never bothered me, but that's, I always figured that's just cause I do story for a living and I'm constantly working with story and I instantly recognize what a MacGuffin is. And I, right, like, right. you know, that, that the thing doesn't really matter. It just right. it is what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I actually kind of like Benji's speech about, you know, like he had that like professor and he just assumed it was the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that is what they all are. They're all the end of the world. And that's really all yeah. I need to know. Um, and they're doing, uh, they're doing two more, right. With, um, with the same writer director that did five and six. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's nothing to say that those will be, you know, better than fallout. Um, but they could be, I mean, be, because of seemingly the attitude that the filmmakers, are taking going, going in. There's some pretty fascinating stuff in the, in the commentary tracks and some of the interviews with Christopher McQuarrie, Christopher McQuarrie. It's to me, it's just, uh, that guy is amazing. Like as a screenwriter, he's phenomenal and he's really good as a director. I think he's underrated as a director and maybe he's getting, he's getting more accolades now that fallout was, was such a big hit, but, um, but but the way that they approached because there's been a different director on each of these movies he's the first one to repeat and he's doing five and then and then the one right after it's six and so he approached you know trying to sort of honor the the franchise of how there's there's some some new elements brought in each time he approached fallout trying to approach it as a different director so a lot of the crew is different from five to six um you know um a different composer different cinematographer uh, and he and he tried to approach it, you know, as a different director, and it feels different. Like you don't watch those two and and, and instantly think this, these are the same director. Like they're not so different that that's that that's um you know like you can't believe it's the same director. But but they are different. They feel and they feel different. And I think that's a really cool thing. But that's the, that's the other element is they try new things with each one. They learned in Mission Impossible two. Uh, <laughs> that that you can't pull a mask off every five seconds, that people get <laughs> bored with that, and it gets really cheesy and annoying, right? And so uh, at one point, you know, they they realize you you really only get like two of those in a movie, mm-hmm. two good ones in a movie, and then don't push it. And those are important lessons to like really learn, right? I mean, because that's a huge deal. Because if you're doing Mission Impossible Five and you're ripping masks off all the time, nobody cares. They stop being special. Yeah, I guess it's. It's like 25 years of development, which no other franchise would ever get to have that. It would be rebooted or just axed after part two. Maybe it's a special thing. Yeah, that Tom Cruise was the producer and attached to these. Because, yeah, I, I think Mission Impossible 1, when it came out, I really enjoyed it. I feel like watching it as an adult, I feel like it could have been executed a little better. I feel like the story is awesome, but you really have to pay attention to that movie. But I really enjoy that part two uh, turned me off completely, and I <laughs> never went back. I never saw another movie until three weeks ago. I never even, I didn't even know why they were made. I, I totally rolled my eyes when I heard that we were going to watch these movies. I couldn't believe I was going to watch six Mission Impossible movies. And then, and two was worse than, I, I don't remember if I saw two as a kid or if I just saw the trailer. Or, but coming off of someone who really liked part one, two just turned me off. It's just Tom Cruise dangling on rocks. That's what I remember it being, and that's what it was when I watched it. There's so many dangling on rock scenes, not even just him. 
there's other people dangling on rocks and it's and the limp biscuit uh and metallica and all that it just aged so poorly like yeah you it's said, like limp biscuit and extreme sports it's the most 90s movie <laughs> of all time yeah when i started three the opening scene it, it was immediate that i i was like oh this is much better already and then three on out it actually feels like a franchise one two and three by themselves it, it, it feels like I don't know, like a Family Guy episode where it ends and now you're in a new one and everything that happened before means nothing. But none of the characters even continue with one, two, and three. And then I really like the team aspect from three on where there's, uh, I mean, Luther's in all of them, but I feel like he becomes more important later on. But Luther, Benji, Brant, and then Hunley, I enjoy that much more. And and, uh, the wife where she's just, a character that continues on and is brought back in Fallout, it actually feels like a franchise. It doesn't just feel like, oh, it's been five years. Let's let's make another action movie. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, with, with Julia, because she's not in Rogue Nation at all. So it had been, what, like seven years? Was it 2011 to 2018 from Ghost yeah. Protocol, where you just see her in the one last scene? So so it's it's interesting to watch Fallout and see how she is layered into that movie in a way that like if you have not seen if you have no idea who that character is how they set her up so that so that when she's really in the 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 last act of the film it makes sense and it has an emotional impact even if you haven't seen those other movies it's really really well done but yeah i agree with you it seems like like mission impossible 3 is the one that turns it around so it's even though that's not my favorite mission impossible like i have to give that movie a lot of credit for kind of the lessons learned from Mission Impossible 2, like even though that one was a hit, because most producers would look at Mission Impossible 2 and go, $215 million, let's do more of that. Mm -hmm. And they would pay more attention to the box office number than they would to how audiences actually reacted to it. That is usually what happens, uh, which which is sometimes why you have these declines, because you don't get, like, to coin a, to, you know, to coin a phrase, you don't get the fallout of your previous <laughs> of that movie until the next one. And you know, you see that like I remember the one of the first times I really recognized this was on um when I went to see X-Men First Class, which is maybe I think the 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 best made X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do very well at the box office, like at all. It wasn't a flop, but it turned the audience back around. Like there was like the X-Men fans that I know, and I know quite a few, were talking about X-Men movies again in a positive way. But that was coming off of, um, I think, two that they hated. And then, and I think the one right before First Class was the Wolverine. I, you know, I, I can't remember. Or maybe the Wolverine was right after. Um, the Wolverine was right after First Class. So First Class was the one that sort of turned it around. And then the movies start making more money. But X-Men First Class, which actually kind of did the best for the audiences, um, didn't have the, that box office return. So, uh, so a lot of producers just learn the wrong lessons because they just look at the one and go, that one had the most money, so make more like that one. And if Mission Impossible 3 was Mission Impossible 2 on steroids and there were more masks and there, were, there was more slow motion and there were more doves <laughs> and there was more dangling on rocks, like <laughs> there wouldn't have been a four. Yeah. <laughs> more birds. <laughs> so clearly, more birds. what the audience wants is birds galore. 
Yeah, and I don't even know if John Woo has like made an American movie in like quite a while. He might have, and I just I don't know. But like John Woo, who directed Mission Impossible Two, like that dude was a big deal in the nineties. Yeah, and I think I think Mission Impossible Two is the movie where most people were like, "Oh, okay, all right, we're we're done here." Yeah, because um, I, I can't I can't remember like he had another hit around that time. Face uh, off, face off. I can't, he had done face off like two years before. I can't remember. I liked face off back then. It also does not age well. No, um, I haven't seen it since then. No. Um, but I, I enjoyed Face Off. Uh, I hated the other one he did with Travolta before Face Off. But um, what was that one? Bro, oh, Broken Arrow. Oh, I didn't hate Broken Arrow. Oh, I hated Wind Talkers. I hated Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers. The one he did with Nicolas Cage. That was a bad. movie. That was a bad movie. Um, um, but yeah, but like I my friend still, was in that movie. Like, his first, uh, his first American movie because he made some. He made all these movies over in Hong Kong, but. His first American-made movie was with Van Damme. It was Hard Target, which is in New Orleans, and it's the world's most dangerous game. And um, but I, I still love that movie. It's got and it's got all the doves you could ever want. It's got all the slow mo <laughs> you could ever want. It's got Van Damme doing a terrible New Orleans accent. I mean, it's fantastic. It's got Lance Henriksen chewing up scenery. It's amazing. But but like John Woo was like a he was a big director. Like that was a get for for mission impossible um and then yeah but but i i think that's another thing is that with the changing directors like there's not any other franchise other than alien that i can think of that has multiple directors all of whom are big deals um at the time when when ridley scott did alien he he'd already had a bit of a track record um but not huge james cameron really didn't have much of a track record when he did aliens and Fincher had no track record when he did alien three. Um, and all three of those guys obviously are like massive directors today, but, um, but mission impossible has got quite a, a track record here with, with directors that are all very good and, and really and distinctive and, too. I mean, it's like, you can't get much different than Brian De Palma and Brad Bird. <laughs> I mean, that's like, very established, very different, distinctive filmmakers doing it this thing. Yeah, and 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 one of the reasons I like Ghost Protocol so much is that there there are aspects of it that kind of feel like The Incredibles. Like I mean, yeah. Brad Bird, you know, comes from animation, Pixar, and stuff, and and um, and and there are aspects of that movie where you're like, yeah, this ha- this is the guy that did Incredibles. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like th- this shouldn't work, and yet it does. Like it, 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 at times it feels like an animated movie, um, in a weird way. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. I agree with that. Even on, I think it was Rogue Nation, so he wouldn't have done it, but when they have to get the drive from underwater, that felt like an animated movie to me, where, where it's like spinning, the water spinning and Tom oh, yeah. Cruise is holding his breath. Yeah. Horrifying. A lot of that is animated. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, the stunts aren't animated, but uh, they animated because when you're in when you're in just water like that, even, and it's moving around, you don't see anything. Like you can't tell visually, so that all the like bubbles and all that sort of there's all this stuff that that is added in to animate it, to, so that you feel the water moving. It's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting when you look at that scene again, realizing that the, all that stuff was added digitally. He is underwater; all that stuff was real, but. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that goes that goes with this because once I started, and I didn't know this for the first 
several Mission Impossibles. Um, I think it may have been. So I remember it being kind of a big deal in Mission Impossible Two that he did his own uh, rock climbing, his his own his own rock dangling. Um, <laughs> I remember that being a thing mm-hmm. because they were like, "This is this giant star, and he's rock dangling, and if he falls and dies, who pays for that?" Um, but I don't remember anybody talking about him doing stunts in Mission Impossible Three, other than that long run he does at the end that he like really ran a really long way, which is like a, a thing that he does, I guess, and then. And then I remember there being some talk about the one big stunt in Ghost Protocol that he did that one. But, you know, it was around four or five where I started really being aware that he was doing all the stunts. Mm-hmm. And that that started to become like a really exciting part of the franchise for me is knowing that that's actually Tom Cruise doing it. Yeah. And and then and then like some of the stunts in Fallout are freaking amazing. And he's piloting that helicopter, like actually piloting the helicopter. Is he really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like, like dangerously piloting, like going down, like, like, like very, very dangerously to like where the <laughs> flight instructor was like, no, you can't do that. You, you cannot do that because you will likely crash and die. And then he does it because he's doesn't have anybody to tell him no, except the flight instructor. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the one person I, I would probably listen to, even in his position, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, it it really is like the fact that he does his own stunts, like that 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 whole sequence in Fallout where he is jumping out of the out of the airplane and he has to get within three feet of the cameraman so that you can see <laughs> clearly that that is Tom Cruise's face, so you know it's Tom Cruise that just jumped <laughs> out of this airplane and is doing all these acrobatics in the air, like that is that whole sequence is fascinating once you realize that that's actually him doing all that stuff. Yeah. It's a huge draw for the franchise. It's so exciting and it is crazy. Like all the danger that this franchise has exposed actors to the only life that they actually destroyed was do gray Scott's who, uh, if you might recall, <laughs> in, in 2000, he had to choose between doing Mission Impossible 2 and playing Wolverine in the X-Men movie, and he chose poorly. Franchise, franchise. <laughs> yeah, he, oh. did, he did choose poorly. <laughs> yeah. I recently just watched the movie Deep Impact from like 1998, and, uh, oh, sure. and Do Gray Scott, Scott was in that. And I was like, oh, that was the guy that... Almost was Hugh Jackman. I'm sorry, do grace God. Thanks for listening to Franchise Fan Guys, Mission Impossible episode one of five. Please write a review and give a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Tom Breifogel and John Harvey. To connect, visit FranchiseFanGuys.com, at FranchiseFanGuys on Instagram, and at GuysFranchise on Twitter. Bye! Adios. See ya.